My name is Rosalind Stone from Zero Hour Health and welcome to a flash alert on the newly coined triple-demic. My guest today is again Dr. LJ Tan, Chief Strategy Officer for Immunize.org and one of the leading flu experts in the U.S. Welcome, LJ. Here we are again, talking about flu again. Um, so um, the very beginning of covid you joined a, a webinar with us and we had a conversation about the twindemic and your concerns about that. And then it never happened until now. And now we're seeing, you know, headlines that say triple-demic. Um, and um, <laughs> Mara Aspinall from Arizona State used the phrase Trimageddon. <laughs> Talk to me about it. What's happening out there? Yeah, I thought. I wish I could take credit for triple demic. That's a that's a that's a nice one too. Um, so you know, when we were talking about the twin demic, obviously, uh, you know, we were in the, the 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 depths of the COVID pandemic, and obviously, all the uh, what what we like to call non pharmaceutical interventions, which is you know, hand washing, lockdowns, mask wearing, social distancing, all those interventions were in play, right? And so, while we were concerned influenza was going to come back. Uh, we were also um, very aware, and you know, we all know this: non-pharmaceutical interventions, all that social distancing, also works for flu. In fact, COVID is more contagious than flu, and so if it works for COVID, it's going to work for flu as well. And so, as it turns, and RSV, and as it turns out, you know, all our respiratory uh, pathogens, right? And as it turns out, we saw that we got two years where there was so little flu, very little RSV, and guess what? This summer, as we all know, we all decided we've had enough of non-pharmaceutical interventions. We figured, you know what, we're done. Uh, and we're, and as a result, uh, we started coming out and uh, wearing no masks. Uh, social distancing totally went away. Uh, and uh, of course, with that, you've given a wonderful environment for these respiratory pathogens to start spreading again. So is it not a surprise? Uh, it, it's not a surprise, obviously, right, that flu came back fast and early, RSV and hard, and RSV came back fast and early and hard because all of a sudden they're like, you know, we've been circulating underneath, you know, underneath the radar, and now you've given us this really luscious human host for us to infect, and of course they did it. And now, and so we dealt with RSV, uh, we're dealing with flu, and we're still obviously still dealing with COVID because those those pathogens don't discriminate. They're going to just jump from person to person because we're no longer wearing masks. We're no longer social distancing. So that's what happened. I took the subway from Grand Central downtown in New York the other day, a little bit later in the evening. So it was a relatively empty. But there were, you know, quite a few. The city subway is never empty. Um, I was the only person in my train car wearing a mask. But well, there you at go. That, at that moment. So I saw a news story that the CDC saw the single highest report of positive flu tests since they're keeping that data. What does that mean? Or is so, that significant? So what it means is that, 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 you know, if you look at how we look at surveillance of flu, you get this peaks of, of how the disease climbs up and then peaks at its highest level and then comes back down again. So what it means, at least at this time and point, is that it's climbing fast and hard, so which is what we're seeing across the country. Flu is just going crazy. Oh, and by the way, it's snowing. 
So I had to just stop the podcast just to say that it is quite cool. But anyway, uh, uh, but for anyway. the record, LJ is in Chicago. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay, so it's just funny. I'm looking out the window. I see the snow and how 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 apropos with flu, of course. But but so what it tells us again to your question is that um, right now that that incline, you know, that that percentage gradient, as we like to call it, if you are driving a truck down a you know up a up a hill or something, right, is very steep. It's going up hard and fast. And so that's, and it's hitting a higher peak than we've ever seen before for this period in history. So that's what's happening currently. It's a snapshot, right? Now, at the end of the flu season, you know, we have, we won't be able to say as a cumulative season how severe this season was, quote unquote, in terms of infection, because this thing could go up hard and fast and plummet hard and fast. We don't know. And if it does that, the number of total infections could probably number the same as in history or less. We just don't know, right? So that's the reason why there's a little hesitation in people saying this is the most severe flu season we've ever had because we, we're not through it yet. Now, obviously, if this thing goes hard and fast and stays high, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because it will be a really bad flu season. Already, we're already seeing that we're, we're, having, we're struggling, right? Because hard and fast is not what we want with flu because our beds are getting filled, right? People are going in and yes, you've already heard reports, a lot of hospitals are reporting 80, 90% capacity uh, occupied because of influenza. And so, so you know, having a really steep gradient going up is not good because we just can't keep up with it. Um, so, so that's the urgency of flu right now is that it's going up hard and fast we have not enough people vaccinated. We got to get people vaccinated so that we can kind of level this peak out, level this climb out, you know, to slow it down. And then hopefully, if we get enough people vaccinated, we won't have it persisting, which is one of our fears. So let's talk about that for a second. I read a story this morning that said that our vaccination numbers are behind last year, and last year was behind years prior to that. Um, is that what you're hearing and seeing? Yeah, so that's kind of what we're thinking is, but it's going by, it's peaking back up a little bit. So what we have is, you know, the data is always about two weeks behind. And as you might remember, um, the summit that I co-chair with CDC and, and, and uh, the National Vaccine Program at uh, HHS, uh, we launched a major effort and uh, obviously immunize.org as well. We launched a major effort about three weeks ago, um, you know, when we, three to four weeks ago, when it was becoming clear that we were having this um, this 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 really like unfortunate perfect storm coming up where we had early flu and low vaccination rates and so we launched a major effort to get people to vaccinate and the good news is i think we're beginning we, we saw that climb back up a little bit the vaccination coverage rates right so so that's the good news so but unfortunately your overall picture is correct if you again look at that snapshot of where we are right now we are behind what we were last year, and we'll be, and of course, last year was behind what we were in 2020, 2021. Now, there is a caveat to looking at those comparisons, right? 2021 was the year we talked about the twindemic, right? And we had a lot of people concerned about that twindemic. And so 2021 was an actually a really sterling year for flu vaccination. We did really well in 2021. Uh, 2021. So, so, and as it turns out, we didn't have flu. So a lot of people said, "Hey, you're, you know, call, you know, you're crying wolf, blah blah blah." But unfortunately, it, you know, that's the psychology part of it. But, but we did really well with tw that twindemic messaging. Uh, but, uh, but so comparing our current season with that season is may not be the best comparison. If you compare it with historical seasons before COVID, we're doing not as well, but we're doing okay, and we will know the final picture as we continue to vaccinate through the season, obviously. Now, from where I sit, there's some confused messaging in the workplace. You know, so many people got their flu shots in the workplace. 
and are continuing to work remotely or only work in, you know, be in the office a few days a week. So there's such a, a lower level of workplace flu shot administration. And we know the easier you make a flu shot, the more likely someone is to take it. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out. I think I think employers are critical, so important uh, in this process, Rosalind. And I, you know, and I think, you know, I, I really do hope that even though some places may not be fully back in at work yet, um, they're beginning to offer flu clinics because it's so important. Again, as you said, convenience. But the other thing I'm hoping that employers are also recognizing is that having an health, healthy employee, whether they're at home or at work is important because if you've got the flu and you're sick, you're still not working in front of your Zoom, right? You're still not working in front of your laptop. And so maybe if employers also consider ways to make flu vaccine accessible for their employees that are at home, um, that would also help all of us, not only them as employers in terms of their costs, but also the employees and their families' health, but also the community in general, because those employees aren't going to be spreading flu as well. So, so I hope, I hope, I hope we can get some of that, you know, tra- some traction on some of that. I think so. And I just want to make a really clear point to everyone who's listening, which is it is not too late to get a flu shot. Today is a perfect day to get a flu shot if you haven't had one. Yeah. Um, Despite so the so snow in Chicago. Despite <laughs> the, the snow in Chicago. It's supposed to be a nice weekend. You're going out to do your holiday shopping or whatever else. You know, go, go get your flu shot. Hey, I got a, a really good question this morning. Um, are there people that are asymptomatic with flu and infectious like there are with covid Yes, absolutely. In fact, we've known that about flu for, for many, many years. One of the things we've always been noticing, no, noting and telling people is this, that, that you can be asymptomatic with flu for about 24 to 48 hours before symptoms show up and be, be infectious. Absolutely. And the incubation period is not dissimilar to COVID. No. It's what, one to four days, averages two days. Correct. Um, and, and that's the period in which you're, you're shedding the virus. Correct. One of the things that we're struggling with are that people... Um, who are who do test positive for the flu um, think that they can go back to work fairly quickly and what we're finding is that they're sick as long or longer than with covid you know that they're very sick or, or they're sick for minimally three to four days but still symptomatic talk to me about the confusion between flu and covid are you seeing people with both you know is that is the illness period as similar as it we as we think it is yeah, so I think people catching flu now are probably going to be sick longer simply because I think there's, you know, we've hadn't seen flu for two years, right? And so I think, you know, I think our our exposure to flu has not been so good. Um, and, and the virus obviously is now coming back hard. But I think one of the things we, we want to keep in mind is that this this concept, you know, of how we treat COVID different from flu in terms of staying home is kind of interesting, right? Because... I think we should have always been staying home before the pandemic if you were sick. I mean, I think that's one of our biggest challenges is that as a society, I think we've, we're, we're like, okay, it's all right. It's just a cold. It's just a flu. I'm going to go into work. And I think that mentality shifted a little bit when we had COVID, right? And even then we're pushing back against isolation if you have COVID, right? So I think I, think, I actually think for public health benefit, for your community's benefit, if you've got any kind of symptoms regarding respiratory tract infections, whether RSV, whether it be flu, whether it be COVID, you should be staying home and resting until you feel better and you're not showing symptoms. Or if you have to go out, put on a mask so you're not spreading it to people, right? I think that should have been the baseline before the pandemic. But unfortunately, that has never been the case. And so, so you're, that, that is now coming back, that mentality, Roslyn, where we've got to deal with this idea that people think, okay, 
I got the flu. I'm still sick, but I'm feeling a little bit better. Uh, I'm going to go into work, but unfortunately, you're going to be infecting people. And we don't want that. And, and, that's, and, and so with COVID, what we're telling them is you got tested positive for COVID. You've got symptoms. Wait five days. Because what we're essentially saying with those five days is that we're going to wait till you are no longer as infectious or hopefully not infectious as all, at all. It's unlikely. But by five days, you're probably less infectious. And then go back to work. And even CDC's guidance says put on a mask, right? The idea here is to, to make sure with COVID, you're not infecting your coworkers. You're not infecting your community. You know, it's not that it's not that nonsensical to do that for flu. I mean, you know, we we should we we should have been doing that as baseline before. But but the idea to separate these respiratory infections and say, well, COVID, we're going to isolate and then put on a mask for five more days, and then ten days later, if you're testing negative, you got no symptoms, you can take the mask off. To say that that's COVID specific really is kind of I would like to say disingenuous because. The same thing should apply to flu, because flu is also serious. Uh, same thing should apply to any respiratory tract infection, uh, because you could give it to someone else, your colleague, your coworker. Yeah. Um, and, and as you said, we are seeing some confusion about that. Thank you very much for clarifying that. So I'm getting a lot of questions about the match between the vaccine this year and, and the flu that's circulating. I hear that it's, a, that it's a, a good match and better than other years. What does that really mean, though? Yeah, so that's a great question. So what it means is by genetics, and we're looking at the, the, the looking at the sequence of the viruses, right? So so it means that right now we're looking at over ninety five percent matches for the flu strains. So what it means is every wow. flu vaccine, yeah, every flu vaccine uh, has four different flu um, strains in it. So so basically we're, we're we're actually activating your body so that when you see these as as real pathogens, when you get infected with them, you're able to fight them off. And so we have four flu strains in there. We have a type A. We have a uh, two type A's, one is an H3, one is an H1. Then we have two type B's, one's a Yamagata and the other one's a Victoria. What's interesting is that we're not, we haven't seen Yamagata circulate for several years now and there's some question as to, hmm, has that gone away? We don't know yet. But regardless, that's, that's a trend, that's a, that's a, that's a, Transient. That's a uh, guy. I'm blocking on the word. Uh, that's a that's a deflection here. But let's go back to this. So we have four strains in your flu vaccine, vi uh, flu virus, vaccine, uh, four virus strains in your flu vaccine, and there and then we look and see. You know, we guessed we guessed back in February as to how those strains are made up. You know, we basically say we anticipate in the upcoming flu season, those four strains are going to be the ones that we think will circulate during the flu season, and that's what we want to protect you against. And so we make the vaccine based on that, that very science-based guess. <laughs> uh, I know it's paradoxical, but that's really what we do. And so what happens then is that then we hope in the flu season that circulates, there isn't any kind of mutation in the viruses that are actually circulating um, that make, them, make the vaccine less effective. And the good news is that this year there's a really good match. The, the science-based guessing was really well done. And so we're, we're over 95% matching for, for the strains. So that's the genetics of it all. What happens on the ground could be a little bit different. And the reason for that is because there are other factors in the production of the vaccine, um, such as the way it's grown up in eggs and, and things like that, can, can cause micro changes in the vaccine strains that make them a little bit less effective on the ground. So we don't know if that's true this season, but it has happened in the past. So 95 plus percent genetics matching does not necessarily mean 95% effectiveness on the ground because the viruses do change. Real-world influences impact the way the vaccine will protect an individual person against the flu. 
I, I, that was complicated, so I hope it made sense. It did. And, and you know, just a reminder for everyone that, you know, um, again, a 95% match doesn't mean that you have 95% protection, but it does mean that if you do get the flu, that you are likely to be less sick and for, for a shorter duration. So, you know, we hear from people, oh, I got the flu shot and I got a flu anyway. Well, you know, you benefited greatly from it and you will never know how much you benefited um, from it because you, because, you know, like a headache when it's gone, you don't. Absolutely. You know, I can tell you this, uh, the value of vaccines, we need to have people understand. And, you know, p- folks like us who know the value of vaccines will always say this, right? It's not just about preventing getting the disease. It's about making sure you don't die from it <laughs> and making sure you don't get hospitalized from it. So I had five COVID vaccines in me and I still caught COVID and, and I got pretty darn sick. And I will tell you that if it wasn't for the vaccines, I would be one of the statistics in the hospital. So so I'm grateful for the vaccine. And someone will say, hey, 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 you got five vaccines and you still got COVID. Shows you the vaccine doesn't work. I say, no, actually, I'm totally grateful because I was at home. I was sick as a dog, but I wasn't in the hospital. Thank goodness. Yeah. One last question for you. Where and when are you masking? Great question. So I ha- so this is a personal um uh, you know, personal decisions process, right? Because CDC has not made any guidance on this. So I mask anywhere in, indoors where I see substantial people and there's a lot of close contact. So I mask in grocery stores. Um, I mask in, um, if I go to a restaurant, I will mask all the way through anywhere, bathrooms, the facilities, all of that, uh, all the way until I'm sitting down and eating. Um, and so, and, and if I'm in a warm temperate region, I still try to sit outside if I can um, now, I have to admit, I've been a little bit less vigilant in the last month because I did catch COVID. And so I have to say I'm probably as immune as I'm ever going to be against COVID right now. Knock on wood. Um, but I'm still very vigilant. I mask in airports. I also mask on airplanes. And as you said, Rosalind, with you in the subway, I mask on public transportation as well. So anywhere there, where there is close contact in, a, in, a con- in an enclosed environment, um, where, I, where I'm not very confident about ventilation, um, I, I mask. Excellent. Well, that was great information. Thank you very much. Be well. You and, too. Um, hopefully, hopefully, we won't need to talk to you again very soon. We're, we're transitioning, right? We're learning to live with COVID, and, and we're going to have to figure some, some, some of these paradoxes we talked about, Rosalind, like this idea of how can we treat COVID different from flu, you know, things like that. Excellent. Thanks very much. show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again.